0: The Archangel Chronicles by Raymond Collati Copyright 2023 All rights reserved Epilogue
1: Hidden in darkness You walk the hills The grass is soft underfoot Trees black shadow. You see the town in the distance, faintly glowing. No distant voices call.
0: soul leads me into the desert, into the desert of my own self. Carl Jung The desert does not mean the absence of men. It means the presence of God. Carlo Carretto. What makes the desert beautiful is that somewhere, it hides a well. Antoine de Saint. Like water to the desert is wisdom to the soul. Edward Council. The forest is mystery, but the desert is truth. Keith Miller. An aged Land Rover beat its way up the gravel road, winding like a white ribbon through the stark landscape of the desert. Clouds of dust trailed as the truck made its way, ducking and weaving around potholes big enough to swallow it. The battered vehicle, fenders rattling with the effort, climbed from the vast, rock strewn wind scoured floor of the desert into the waterless mountain passes, slowly ascending higher and higher, gears shifting as it dodged, bucked, and skidded around curves and switchbacks carved into the very shoulders of the towering heights. At last, the vehicle rounded a bend and came to a place where the road leveled off and ran up to the gates of the desert monastery, which stood at the foot of another mountain. In the distance, the driver could see the footpath that led from the back of the monastery and wound its way up the steep arid slopes to the top of the mountain. The driver knew he had come at last to the place he was seeking. There were two people in the car, the driver and a companion. They had traveled a long way down the difficult desert roads and were happy to be able to get out of the vehicle and stretch their legs. The driver, clad in a white linen shirt, cargo pants and hiking boots, took off his broad-rimmed safari hat and beat it against his leg, releasing a cloud of dust. He reached into the rover and grabbed a canteen. Screwing it open, he took a long drink, the water overflowing his mouth and running down his neck. Satisfied, he poured the rest of the water in the canteen over his head, untied the scarf around his neck, now soaked with water, and washed his face and the back of his neck, feeling the coolness of the evaporating moisture on his skin. His companion, dressed in flowing white robes, his head capped with a small round cap, looked up toward the mountain in the background. Welcome, Havelock, my friend, to the monastery of St. Jeremiah of the Desert, the oldest monastery in Christendom. And there, at the top of the mountain, is the heritage of the blessed founder, where it has stood since antiquity. The driver, Havelock, came over to the companion and looked up at the mountain and then turning back down the steep road and the desolate plain from where they had come. The neat whitewashed buildings of the monastery with its two steeples jutting up like stone needles into the sky The palm trees and the greenery within its walls contrasted with the sand, the rocks, mountains, and arid landscapes all tinted the same color under a murderous sun. Havelock shook his head. Hassan, I cannot understand why anyone would shut himself up in this place. Look at it. It's a wasteland. Why would anyone want to come here? Ah, my friend, you do not understand the desert yet. It is a place for the human mind to wander. It is dry and lifeless to your eyes. But there is life enough in the hidden places. Although empty, it is never entirely vacant, as you would see if you stayed long enough. But come now, we must meet the brothers and I will translate for you." The two men went to the back of the vehicle, opened it, and dragged out a large rectangular wooden box with two rope handles on each end. Be careful, Hassan, the contents are very old and fragile. The two men proceeded to the gate of the monastery, carrying their load with some difficulty. They were met at the gate by the abbot, and ushered into the interior spaces. Greetings, translated by Hassan, were exchanged. Inside the gates, palm trees, flowering plants, and greenery grew in abundance, for this was the place where a spring gave life to an oasis amidst the arid wastes. Havelock and Hassan were assigned their rooms and after washing and refreshing themselves after their long journey, found themselves waiting for the entry of the abbot and the monks of the monastery in a large dining room. A sweet, haunting sound of dozens of voices chanting hymns in harmonic tones filled the room as the procession of bearded monks dressed in black robes led by the abbot with his long white beard came into the dining hall. When the hymns were finished Hassan and Havelock sat with the abbot and about a dozen of the other monks at a long table. A pleasant dinner was served during which a monk standing at a lectern read passages from a holy book in the Coptic language. The others ate in silence. When the readings were finished and the dishes and refreshments cleared away, Havelock felt it was time to get down to business. Hassan, will you please tell the Holy Father Abbot that we are grateful for the invitation that brought us here. Can you ask him when it might be possible to meet the hermit? For we have come a long way to get here, and we are anxious to get on with our work. Hassan translated the request with an attitude of extreme reverence. He received a reply from the abbot and turned to face Havelock. The Holy Father says this that the man you seek is not a hermit. He is an anchorite, and he is not here in the monastery. Anchorite? What is that? Hassan asked the question in Coptic and received what seemed to be a long answer. Uh, He says that the man on the mountain is not a hermit. He is an anchorite, a holy man. He is not here but stays alone in his cell In the chapel next to the cave of Saint Jeremiah at the top of the mountain. He stays alone like a hermit, but he has taken a vow of stability of place to live in his cell. He has been consecrated with certain rites, like a funeral, and has died to this world. He is a very holy man, a living saint. He asks if you brought the Holy Scroll with you. Havelock looked at Hassan. How does he know we have the scroll with us? Hassan asked the question of the abbot and got an answer. The anchorite has told him of the scroll. It is one of the chronicles of the archangels. They have been known since before the founding of this place. But they were lost, and now you have found one of them." Havelock could not disguise his growing excitement. One of them? That means there must be others. Ask him why the holy man has summoned us here. Ask him how we will visit this anchorite if he is not here, and whether he will speak to us. Again Hassan, in reverent tones, made these inquiries of the abbot And received a reply. He says, We must make the climb to the cave at the top of the mountain where he awaits you. He knows you are coming. You must bring the scroll up with you. You must go there in the morning, before the heat of the day, before the first light. The next day, before the sun rose above the vast desert horizon, Havelok, Hassan, and a small party of monks started the trek up the mountain from the monastery, lugging the wooden box and its contents up the slope on the difficult climb. As they walked along the difficult path, lugging their box. The first rays of the dawning sun pierced the darkness. A few moments later, the unconquerable sun rose above the shoulder of the horizon in an orange burst of brilliance, rapidly casting away the shadows from the eastern slopes of the mountain. It did not take long for the now murderous sun to heat up the air and the light and heat of it began to radiate off the rocks and gravel of the path. Havelock sweated profusely at the effort and found that he had to pause frequently to catch his breath. He heard a screech, and looking up, he saw an eagle circling high above the mountain. The sun was high in the sky before they reached the cave of St. Jeremiah, and the chapel at the top of the mountain. A smaller whitewashed stone building with thick walls had been built and attached to one of the chapel walls. This was their destination. The party carrying the box stopped outside the front entrance to the cell. One of the monks fumbled about with a ring of old keys that contained one very large one, which he fitted into the lock of the iron door at the entrance. He spoke a few words in Coptic as the door creaked open, metal upon metal groaning. He gestured to the others to follow him into the cool interior, out of the sun. Inside, from floor to arched ceiling, was another barrier, again made of iron. The barrier had several small doors. The monk with the keys knocked gently on one of the lower ones and said a few more words in Coptic. It was all very reverent. The small door opened, and the monk with the keys passed a bag of food prepared at the monastery into the cell. A small door in the iron wall, higher up, at about eye level, opened, and Havelock stepped forward, peering into the narrow cell. He saw a bearded man, of average height, blue-eyed and of indeterminate age. He wasn't exactly old, and he wasn't exactly young either. He was dressed in a simple white tunic, belted with a sash of some kind, and stood barefoot smiling at Havelock. He spoke. Mr. Graham Havelock, I presume? Havelock was at a loss for words. Why, yes, he said haltingly. You speak English. But I don't even know your name. I am Adam, Mr. Havelock. Thank you so much for coming. I would invite you in for a cup of cool water But as you can see, my lodgings are quite small and spartan, and you would not fit in here. He looked to the monk who carried the keys. I will ask Father Abraham there if he can open the locks to this iron wall. This is a place just inside the chapel where we can all sit and have a chat. The interior of the chapel was cool with its thick walls and offered a respite. From the blazing sun. It smelled pleasantly of incense and candles. The party, together with Adam, gathered in the foyer where there were enough seats for all around the wall. Adam, please call me Graham. We have come such a long way to see you. But tell me, why are you locked away in a cell way up on this mountain? Would it not be more comfortable down there at least in the monastery i am locked in this cell for my own protection and for theirs said adam gesturing to the monks protection i don't understand said havelok adam nodded his head and stroked his beard lost in thought after an uncomfortable interval he spoke I am not the first to come up here and accept the role of recluse. Many would think that I have come here, like others before me, to escape the world. The desert is a place of emptiness, but it is not empty. Many would think that this is a place of solitude, of peace, and it is. But it is a place where there are no distractions. It is a place where we are forced to confront our inner selves without compromise. There are times when these spaces are not empty, but filled with light and choirs of voices. And then there are times when we are forced to confront the enemy and struggle with him, sometimes physically. We fight for your very souls. But this is all hidden from you. You go about life's daily joys and sufferings, blissfully unaware of the great battle being fought in the unseen spaces of this world. So when the struggle comes here, it is best to be confined to a place where my physical safety is assured. But that is not all. Not all? asked Havelock. What do you mean? I mean, well, that is difficult to explain. You will not understand this, as I do not completely understand it myself. But sometimes I... Well, I go out on a journey to a different time and place. The good fathers in the monastery check on me every day. If they see my cell is empty after I have been locked into it, they know that I have gone, and they will wait patiently for my return. Adam, I have so many questions. You brought me here. You wrote me a letter. You told me where to find this scroll. But how did you know where it was hidden? And I heard the abbot say that there were others. Adam looked at the wooden box which had been placed in the middle of the foyer. He stood up, walked over, and touched the lid. Have you brought it with you? Havelock rose. Yes, he said. He took a knife from his belt and pried the lid off. The interior of the box was stuffed with straw, which, when removed, revealed a large cylindrical clay jar lying lengthwise in the box. Adam reached in and gently lifted the jar, standing it up. He carefully lifted the lid of the container and slowly pulled out a scroll of papyrus. Considering the great antiquity of the paper, it was still surprisingly supple and could be very carefully unrolled. Adam held it up to the light. His lips moved silently as he mouthed the unknown text of the scroll. "'Can you actually read this?' asked Havlock, with a note of excitement in his voice. "'Yes,' said Adam. "'This is the first one. "'It begins in the voice of Gabriel. "'But there are others. "'This is only the first part of the story.' But I will tell you where to find the others.
1: The light that threatens from afar Will never take you from A life among the stars The light that threatens from afar The
0: Music for the epilogue Light by the Gateless Gate from the album Haikar no Satsu. Epidemic Sound Sad Business. Epidemic Sound Ethos by Johannes Bornloff. The Creative Commons Unis Ex Disciplinis Maius. Epidemic Sound Kyrie by Silver Maple. Epidemic Sound Godsend by Johannes Bornloff. Epidemic Sound Back to the Wild by Pastis. Epidemic Sound Of Jord Till Jord by Silver Maple.
1: from afar will never take you from a life among the stars. Let the ages pass and our time end until it all begins again. Begins again Begins again